0: Well, that was tremendous, wasn't it? And uh, not just because of the skillful, beautiful sound, but uh, he was playing about our Lord Jesus Christ, majesty. And then a little bit of, was there a little bit of holy, holy, holy in there? Amen. You know, when the angels, well, the cherubim, saw Jesus, they didn't cry out, love, 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 though the Bible says God is love. Uh, They didn't cry out, uh, separated, 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 though God is separated from sin. Uh, They didn't cry out, health care, health care, though Jesus, when he came to earth, healed people. They cried out, holy, holy, holy. And I think every characteristic of the Lord is beyond comprehension because it's pure. You might have some degree of love but it's not a hundred percent agape love and neither is mine but uh, i think every characteristic of of our god depends on his holiness or is because of his holiness so i really appreciated all of that song and then uh the choir number uh he'll carry you both those songs are going to lead right into the message tonight turn to hebrews chapter 4 While you're turning there, uh, let me share a couple things with you. Uh, I was preaching this morning over in Cream Ridge at Brother Downey's church. Most of you know Brother Tom Downey. He's out of this church. And uh, he's in Iowa or on his way. And uh, so I was preaching for him. And uh, so I called pastor and I said, I'm one of your missionaries. I get your missionary check every month. As your treasure can tell, you folks, I cash it every month. (laughs) And uh, uh, I said, I haven't uh, been at your place for about a year and a half, so if you'd like, I can just drop by and give a report. And he said, well, just drop by and give a report and preach. And I I don't take that lightly. I thank you for that opportunity. Uh, Ordinarily, when I'm here, I'll give a report, and I'll do that in a second. But then I'll preach on the need for more Preachers, pastors, evangelists, assistant pastors, youth directors, wives of all the above, missionaries, Christian day school teachers. I preach a message on that oftentimes. And uh, I know a couple people who surrendered to full-time ministry here who went away to Bible college and are in the ministry today after I preach one of those in your chapel or in your church. And I could preach on that again. Every week, I get some preacher or pulpit committee or Christian school like the one that just called me from, well, it was a month ago, Bear, Delaware. I have trouble with names, but I can remember that. That's kind of funny, Bear, Delaware. And they have a a school that's really growing there called Fairwinds Christian School. And the principal said, I need four new teachers for this fall. And I said, oh, Brother So-and-So, do you have a problem? Uh, He said, no, we just realized we have to split classes. Our classes are getting so big, we're growing. So that's a good problem. And he said, and I I have one more position to fill. I said, what? He said, I need a a principal who's experienced with a student body of 250 or more. And uh, I said, that's you. That's what you do. He said, I know they're moving me over into the church side of the ministry. If I have to do it, I will. And I've been doing it here for a number of years. Folks, you just don't find. Uh, teachers and principals and uh, pastor in Milford, Delaware, said, I need it. He's 70 uh, years old. He's got energy. He directs the choir. Uh, he is the administrator. He has a principal, but he's the administrator of the Christian school, First Baptist Church, Seaford, Delaware, uh, Dr. David Perdue, many years in the ministry. He said, I need somebody who can come and be my assistant. And actually, in about two years, become the pastor of this church. Well, that's a hard position to fill. And you uh, uh, he, he said, when did he tell you that? A year and a half ago. And he's still looking for that one. And we had one. And the guy was, said, all right, they're voting to call me as a pastor in Florida. If, they don't, if I don't get the number, the percent I told God, I believe I I would need to go there, then I'll come up there and I'll be your assistant. And so uh, we contacted him and he said, well, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I got the the percent that I asked for. Now listen to this, Pastor Weigel. We said, what percent did you ask for? He said, 100%. (laughs) Now there were only 40 people there, but that's that's hard to get 100% out of 40 people. If you're married, it's hard to get 100% out of two people. But anyway, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. (laughs) But uh, um, it's just difficult, folks. And so churches are still closing. But I'm not going to preach about that uh, because God didn't tell me to. Or I I preach about our Bible college, uh, the Atlantic Coast Baptist College. Last year, we had had at one time over 20 students. And then through the last few years, it had gotten down. Get this, last fall we started with nine students. And I needed $71,000 because we were getting our own building. Uh, And uh, I said, uh, Lord, is this really what you want? Is is it worth it? Is this what you want? And uh, God just impressed on me, let me show you. So people said, are you gonna do it? Are you gonna open in the fall? People were saying we weren't gonna open in the fall and so forth. Uh, You aren't going to have enough faculty, and uh, you've only got four faculty members. Experienced men, 35 to 55 years in the ministry, came and said, I want to teach for free. So in the fall, I started with nine students, day and night school, and nine faculty members. (laughs) What about that student-teacher ratio? I was thankful that most of those teachers, I'd give them their paycheck and they'd sign the back of it and say, here you go. But second semester we had 19, from 9 to 19. And it looks like this semester we're going to have somewhere between 25 to 35 or 36 uh, students. So God got the final vote. Uh, He kept the school open. And I think here's one of the reasons why. The president of a much, much, much larger Bible college said, I'd like your percentages. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I read where 25 of your 27 graduates in your short history of your college are in the ministry. I said, that's right. 25 out of 27 are in the ministry. He said, I would like to have those percentages. And he said, it's good that we're training people who can do computer stuff and, and training people to do computer graphics and, and all of that stuff. He said, but America needs a revival, and I don't think it's going to come through a computer. He said, we need preachers and their wives who know how to, men and women of God, who know how to lead the people of God to God so God can bless us again. If you want any information about our college, it's here. Another thing that I preach about some now, but I'm not going to preach about that, is I'm not only the president, (laughs) which means whatever needs done, I have to do it if somebody else didn't, like directing the choir, brother, but I don't have to direct the choir, praise God, but. Of the Atlantic Coast Baptist College, but there's a new college. Would you call a college that is three years old a new college? It's a new college called Independent Baptist Online College. And they asked me if I would come and be their executive vice president. And I said, why? And they said, we don't halfway know what we're doing. They said, we have about 80 courses available. We started three years ago and the thing just got away from us. We thought we could start up real slow, but they have over 1,200 students. <laughs> and what it reminds me of, in a meeting the other day, every week, we have these online meetings uh, uh, on our computers with each other. One's in Ohio, one's in Texas, Dr. Bob Gray, he's in Texas, and, and uh, Tom Wallace, is, who knows where he is, he's still at his age, preaching all over America, winning souls almost every day. And we have these meetings And I say, guys, here's how I'm describing the college from now on. We're like somebody on one of those old Wild West shows, a stagecoach driver, and he's got a six team, a a three team of six horses pulling the stagecoach. And they pull into the station and the the passengers are still on there and when he jumps off the stagecoach it scares the horses and they take off down the road with the passengers still in there and he's running in the dust trying to catch up with the six horses I said that's what we have right now and uh, God's helping us to get some order but here's what I want to say to you if you want a Bible college education one class or want to work for your bachelor's degree Uh, We have the Independent Baptist Online College. You say, when's the next semester? No, it's online. You could theoretically start tomorrow. You could get up at noon, be wearing some ratty old house coat and slippers, and sit in front of your computer and take your classes. If that's all the character you have, then you should come to Atlantic Coast Baptist College and we'll make you get up before noon. No, what I'm saying is it's convenient for uh, adults especially. Especially. To keep their job, keep their ministry in their local church, keep their pastor their pastor, and uh, you can still get a good Bible college education. Of those 1,200, about 300 are working for a degree. Some of them are just taking one course. And so I have information about this. If you want it, I didn't put out a table. Uh, I'll be back at the back, Lord willing. you say, then what are you going to preach about? Well, I used to give a report. I didn't give you a report of my evangelistic ministry. Since I was here, God's let me have a number of revival meetings where he sent revival. Now, if I'm going to go to church every night for a week, I want God to do something. I don't want to just show up and check it off. And if I'm a pastor and I'm going to schedule a week or half week meeting, I want God to meet in a mighty way. I don't want to just show up and make sure the choir's got their specials and return the lights and the air conditioning on and off and we check it off. And God has really sent revival to some places where we have been. Um, I held, I'll only give you two examples. I held a revival meeting in a church where a few years ago, Avondale, Pennsylvania, I went to hold a revival meeting. They had an auditorium almost this big. Uh, Move these two sections back a little, take these two sections out. That's how big an auditorium they had. And they had about 25 people there, and that's what they were running now. They just kept doing this and this and this. In that meeting, God began to turn that thing around. I asked the pastor, how many folks will be here in the evening, do you think? He said, about eight or nine. I said, oh, my. He said, are you still coming? I said, well, yeah, I'm I'm still coming. We never had eight or nine. (laughs) We never had less than 20. But we got up the last night. He just was beside himself. We had 80-some. And people got saved in the meeting. Well, one lady got all excited, saved and excited about doing something for God. And she has a managerial position for some company over there in Pennsylvania. And the next year I saw her and she said, guess what? I said, what? She said, I did it. I said, what? She said, I passed out the first track I ever passed out in my life. He said, one track, big deal. (laughs) Yeah, it was her first one. The next year I went there and her pastor said, remember? And I said, yeah, I remember She passed out her first track last year. He said, brother, she's turned her office into a preaching place at work. You go in there, there's tracks, there's Christian books, and once a week she holds a Bible study and she teaches it or had me come in and teach it. And they they told her she had to move out of her office and she was really just instantaneously thought, oh no, and they said, but we'll provide a bigger place for you because you're cramming too many people in your office. And this year, here's what she did. This is how revival works. Somebody gets right with God, starts serving God, and it grows. And this year, she came, and I challenged everybody to think of the meanest, sinfulest, most sinful people they could think of and try to bring them to church last night. Because you know what we do? Friend Day, we ask some good Christian, we borrow them from another fundamental Baptist church, (laughs) (laughs) to come for Friend Day. I said, think of them. So she shows up, and there's a lady. Oh, next to last night, there's a lady over here, and her son's over here. And her son came forward. He was 12 years old, and he got saved that night. And the lady got right with God. She was bitter against God. I won't tell you all the reasons, but she was. The next night, formerly bitter lady brings one of the most well-known sinners in that area who came forward and got saved. And uh, Lisa was just beaming, beaming. And now that church averages about 55 to 65, and for revivals, we'll have 85, 90 people. But it's taken four years, you see. Well, uh, bless their hearts. The first year I remember for the whole week of preaching, they gave me enough to cover my expenses in about $200. Now, I don't know if you can live off of $200, you and your wife or spouse, a week. But I can't do that. And uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm extravagant. I can't live on $200 a week. <laughs> so churches like yours who help support me as a missionary, just like all the foreign missionaries you support, um, you keep them on the mission field and you keep me on the mission field. I went to New York City and helped a guy start a church in Staten Island, New York City. The auditorium was only a little wider than the center aisle. Two stackable chairs here and one chair here. Three people. And I've been there several times. They now have their own building. They have four classrooms. They have an auditorium about this big. They're filling it up now. The first and second time I went there, he said, here, I need to give you a love offering. I said, don't give me a love offering. He said, no, 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 no. The labor's worthy of his hire. And he gave me $100. That did not cover the Delaware Turnpike, the New Jersey Turnpike, fuel there, the bridge toll, and and the New Jersey Turnpike, and the uh, uh, Delaware Turnpike and the Delaware Memorial Bridge. It didn't cover all that. But I was able to keep going there as he's been growing over the last three years because of church's support like yours. So I want to thank you. I'll tell you another one. This one, I didn't need your support. For this one. I went to a church. It was their 19th anniversary. I got to preach their first revival 19 years ago. Safe Harbor Baptist Church in Cochranville, Pennsylvania. At the end of that week, we had 26 people saved. That was a lot for that church. I remember five years ago, they were lucky to have 26 people there. But the pastor's been faithful, faithful, faithful. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. One grandmother had seven grandchildren and two great-grandchildren saved in that meeting because she brought them, prayed for them, and brought them in. Some of them were young adults. Some of them were little great-grandchildren. And the pastor said this. The pastor said this. Brother Gary Gilbert, if you want to check it out, see if I'm exaggerating, Gary Gilbert, said, in 19 years, this is the best revival we've ever had. Our church is stronger for it. And we have a lot of converts to follow up on, 26 they had. And they baptized for weeks after that. So I want to thank you for keeping me out on the firing line, folks. I want to thank you for your support of me as an evangelist. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. You say, well, what are you going to preach about? Well, what the Lord laid on my heart, Hebrews chapter 4, and this is not meant to help the uh, new Independent Baptist Online College or help fill up the Atlantic Coast Baptist College or Uh, Help your RU ministry, which I had the privilege to help start. It's not meant to help those ministries, but it will. It'll help every ministry in this church if this message helps you. And the title of this message is Help, Help in a Time of Need. Where'd you get that title? Well, look at the last part of verse 16, Hebrews 4. And find grace to help In time of need. Now, I can identify with that statement because I've had times of need. And realistically, I know I'll have times of need as long as I'm on planet Earth. How many of you have ever had a time of need where you needed help? It says find grace to help. You needed help beyond what you could do in a time of need in your life. You had that in the past. How many of you had All right. Maybe some of you are that way tonight. And I guarantee you, we all, if we stick around long enough, will be there again in the future. Well, where can we get help? Well, some people turn to the government. Some people turn to relatives. Some people just call the pastor, ask him to pray for them. And that's fine. You should share your prayer request with brothers and sisters in Christ. But I want to show you where you can... Dead sure, we used to say out in the Midwest where I grew up. Find grace to help in time of need. That's our text. Let's pray, and we're going to look at verse 14, 15, 16. God, please speak to our hearts tonight. I have no idea what Brother Weigel's been preaching about. Maybe he preaches very text last week. I don't know. But God, I know that a lot of Christians fall out, give up, some of them even, their profession of faith Quit the race that is set before us that we're told to run with patience in chapter 12 of this book because we don't think we can go on. And I pray, Lord, that you'll use this message to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in our minds and our hearts so we'll go to him to get help in time of need. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Now, verse 14, 15, 16 teach us that as Christians, we're never without the promise of God's help. Never without the promise of God's help. Because you're going to see here, the Bible says, we have a great high priest. Seeing then, verse 14, that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast secure, tight, our profession, our profession of faith. We shouldn't get discouraged and give up. Yeah, but do you know what happened? But we have a great high priest to help us. And uh, you say, well, what's this mean, a great high priest? Well, the Jews, in this book was written to the Hebrews. The Jews, it's for us too, but it was written to the Hebrews, who were trying to make this transition from Jewish law to the New Testament, the better covenant it talks about in this book (coughs) under the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it says here that Jesus, the Son of God, is our great high priest. Now, they understood that. We have to study just for a little bit or look it up or or, uh, do something. Google great high priest, something. (laughs) Uh, The great high priest, there were many priests under the Levitical priesthood. But... Uh, And they could offer sacrifices, and they could do many things. But the great high priest was able to do things that the other priests weren't able to do. And he had the responsibility to go with it. For instance, once a year, he was to go into the holy place. And he was to sprinkle, almost paint blood on the mercy seat. As a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to God's mercy seat. And uh, what a privilege that was to do that. But what a responsibility. And if God didn't kill him, and he had a a rope tied to his ankle and they pull him and drag him out of there. If God didn't kill him and God was pleased with the offering, then he was able to walk out of there. The great high priest had many other responsibilities. But the Bible tells us that we, as born again Christians, have on our behalf a great high priest. And the Bible says that he is passed into the heavens and he's identified as Jesus, the Son of God. I want you to notice his position, he's in the heavens. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of God where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Now I've had some people disagree with this scenario and that's okay because it's not worth breaking fellowship over. But if he ever liveth to make intercession for us, that means there are times when we need intercession. Because the Bible says that our accuser, the accuser of the brethren, that's the devil, has access into heaven. And he can accuse God's children. He accused Job. God said, have you seen my servant Job? He's just and so forth. And and he said, I'll tell you why he's just. He's a teacher's pet. He's your favorite. You let me at him and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, all right, you go at him. You do whatever you want to do, but you can't take his life. And so the devil arranged it to have all of his possessions taken in raids by the enemy. And whirlwinds come and destroy the homes of his family members and every one of his children and their mates and grandchildren killed in one instant. And the Bible said in all that, Job did not sin with his lips. He said, naked I came into this world, and naked I'll go out. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And another day the devil appears before Job's God. And uh, God said, oh, by the way, how's it going with Job, your little project on Job? He said, yeah, I know, I know. He's still loyal to you, but you let me touch him. You let me take his life and his health, and he'll curse you. And God said, you can't take his life, but you can take his health. And the Bible says Job was so miserable with boils from the uh, flat of his feet, from his toes to the tip of his head, that to get rid of the pain, he broke uh, clay pots and was scraping his skin off to try to get rid of the pain of those boils. And then he lost the most cherished thing he had, his wife. God said, it's not good for a man to dwell alone, but I will make him a help meet. God said, man needs help, and that would include encouragement. In time of trouble but you know what she said she said Job you're no good to me why don't you curse God and die in one statement she strikes out at Job's God and she strikes out at Job why don't you just die I don't need you for a husband and Job said you speak as one of the foolish women and the Bible says He said, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. (laughs) Now, folks, when the accuser comes before God the Father and says, do you know what Bruce Miller did? Do you know what he just said? Do you know what he just thought before he can even get it out? The Bible says we have an advocate, 1 John 1, 7 through chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he says, Your Honor, may I approach the bench? <laughs> he said, that, yeah, Bruce did that. Bruce said that. Bruce thought that. But that was covered by my blood. <clears throat> and the devil has to tuck his tail between his seat and, and, and drop his head and walk out. Because Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us. I mean, your friends might turn against you. Job had some friends. They came and they were amazed with the destruction and the grief. And finally, they spoke up one by one, said, we got it figured out, Job. Now, remember, this happened to Job because he was just and God the Father had been bragging on him. They said, we got it figured out. You are so backslidden, God did all this to you. Isn't that a good friend? Huh? He even lost his friends. Now, you know the end of Job. God blessed him, and God gave him twice of everything that he had before. But, folks, when the accuser of the brethren accuses us to our father, do you remember growing up and some things you did and your mom and dad didn't know about it? My two daughters, who are uh, in their mid-40s and mid-30s now, were talking in front of me a couple years ago, and they said, yeah, remember when you did this, remember when you did that? And, And then I'm just sitting there like, One's a pastor's wife and one's a youth pastor's wife right now. And I'm going, and they go, oh, you didn't know about that? I go, no, and I don't want to know anything else. Go in the other room and talk about this. (laughs) We might hide it from our earthly parents, but we can't hide it from God. He knew before the devil came in and accused us. But Jesus is there to ever, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's passed into the heavenlies. Look, if you will, at chapter 5, looking at his position, verse 6. He saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is a priest, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now that's big because the Melchizedek priesthood is bigger than the Levitical priesthood. It predates the Levitical priesthood. And when the veil of the temple was rent from top to the bottom so no more sacrifices were to be offered for our sins, the Levitical priests weren't needed anymore. But we still need the great high priest. And the Bible says that his position is he's a priest forever, an unchangeable priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Look at chapter 6, verse 20. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus. He's entered into heaven. Made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who was this Melchizedek? Well, look at chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. You can read about that in uh, Genesis chapter 14. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Now here he is. First being by... interpretation king of righteousness and after that also king of Salem which is king of peace so man that sounds like Jesus well look at verse 3 without father without mother without descent having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like unto the son of God abideth a priest continually Jesus folks was and is eternal his existence I'm sorry Jehovah witness His existence did not begin when he was born in the stable. He condescended from heaven to be placed supernaturally without contact. Contact by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And the Bible says that, that it's Jesus. You see, when Jesus met Abraham coming back from battle, that's what we call Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ before his advent of his uh, earthly ministry. Look, if you will, at chapter, uh, verse 17 of chapter 7. For he testifieth, talking to Jesus, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So our great high priest, his position is he's a son of God, entered into the heavens at the right hand of God, and he is a great high priest forever after the eternal order of Melchizedek. I want you to notice, therefore, his power. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. His power. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? And it's talking about Salvation in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7 about Jesus. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Look, if you will, at verse 24 and 25 of chapter 7. 24, but this man, talking about Jesus, because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood, Now here it is, folks, our great high priest is our savior. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So the first of my three points is the position and power of our great high priest. He's the son of God. He's the eternal High priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, the very Savior who's able to save us to the uttermost. I want you to notice, though, number two, his passion and his pain. But it tells us in verse 14, let us hold fast our profession. Don't give up if we have this one on our side. Now look at his passion and pain, verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, Now, you have a wonderful pastor and pastor's wife. And if you come to them with a problem, they try to identify with your problem and figure it out. And the Bible says all of us, not just the preachers, are to rejoice with those that rejoice, and we're to mourn with those that mourn, and we're to weep with those that weep. And they try to do that. But the fact of the matter is, you and I, as men of God, cannot... Fully identify with everybody who might bring a prayer request or a problem to us. I mean, we're just not in that identical situation. might be similar to one we were in, but we're not in that. But our great high priest, the Bible says, uh, is not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Oh, we're Baptists. We don't believe in feelings. Yes, we do. We're Biblicists. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That can end up being a feeling. Joy, that's a feeling. Peace, that's a feeling. (laughs) We believe in that. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This past week, for the fourth year, I went to Emmanuel Baptist Church in Winchester, Virginia, and they have something called Royal Soul Winning Outreach. This was their 13th one. They started 13 years ago. They ask the members of their church to take a day off or the whole week off or half a day off or at least come out in the evenings and every morning for two hours and lunch and every afternoon after lunch for two hours and then supper and every evening in the heat and the humidity and the sun and the humidity and the sauna like conditions. I've been there when they did it in July. They said, we got to get it when it's cooler. They did it in June and it rained every day and they moved it to August. Huh? <laughs> did I mention the humidity? Oh, my soul. My wife packed for me. She always does, Has says, there's all your clothes. I said, double the T-shirts. She said, why? I said, I know I'm going to wear at least two a day. And she did. Are you going to need more shirts? Yeah, you better get me more shirts too. I went down there with what would have been a week and a half of clothes. But it lasted one half a week. And we went out. On Wednesday night, they had told me, not many people signed up this year. And God let me preach a message on Wednesday night. And exactly 52 people said, I'll take some time to go. Sometime this year, I'll go out. And we meet and they pair us up. There were three evangelists there. I was one of them. And I had a soul winning team from Atlantic Coast Baptist College. They want uh, Bible college students who know how to win souls. And, And so they asked us to come with a soul winning team for the fourth year. And I had six of us from our team. The first night, I'm the expert, you know, I'm the Bible college president. I teach personal evangelism every year since 1976. The reason I'm saying that so seriously is the first morning, I didn't have anybody saved. Out of knocking on 30-some houses' doors, two people answered. So we left our packets on the door telling about the church and the gospel track. That afternoon, I knew somebody was going to get saved. And they said to the assistant pastor who went to a Bible college, it's supposed to be a good college, he's a good young man, he just thinks he has to throw the whole Bible at somebody on their doorstep for them to get saved. They said, just do what Brother Miller says. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) So far, he saw me hang two door hangers on the door. That afternoon, we went out. Nobody got saved. Hardly anybody home again. That night, we went out. And I said, you know, you've been watching me to learn how to do it. I'm going to, you talk to these people. I'm going to watch you. First person he met was a sweet old lady. And she was talking so sweet. And she named a major denominational church. And, and uh, he, he stopped. He would always stop short. So he looked at me, so I said, well, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, it's not the church you go to, it's a relation you have with Jesus. She said, oh, that's right. And I said, the Bible says you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven and your sins are forgiven. She said, we're not going there at this time in my life. Get out of here, get out. And slam the door. I said, Luke, you did a good job, man. <laughs> we go to the next house, and a guy was putting a brand new lawnmower together. He got it out of the box. He's adding a few things. And he, gets, and he raises up, and he said, can I help you guys? And I said, yeah, we're from Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we're inviting people to church. And, and uh, uh, do you go to church anywhere? And he named the same church she went to. I thought, oh, no, this must be her son or something. But he was real friendly, but he was too busy, he said. We had nobody saved that night. I went back to my air-conditioning room. I took a shower, and I said, God, I'm willing to just hang door hangers on doors because somebody could read the track and get saved. Somebody could come home and find it and come to church. That's happened in past years here. But, God, I'd really like to see somebody get saved. I'd like to be an example to these people they're sending out with me. Next day, one whole side of the street, (laughs) nobody home. So I said, I had two partners that day. I said, you two guys go down that street to the end of that cul-de-sac, come back. I'm gonna keep going down this side of the street, catch up to me. In the next house, I knocked, nobody answered. So I knocked again and a guy comes to the door and he has a shirt on and it was buttoned the wrong way had a big grease mark on it, said Flying J. I said, uh, did I wake you up? He goes, yeah, but it's time to get up anyway. What do you want? I said, what's this Flying J? He said, I drive fuel trucks to the Flying J gas stations on the interstate. I said, oh, I buy some of your gas. He said, what, what do you want? And I thought, all these smooth approaches that I'm teaching these people aren't working. I said, I wanna find out if you wanna go to hell when you die or go to heaven. He's trying to wake up. <laughs> he said, well, what kind of questions is that? I want to go to heaven. I said, well, are you going to heaven or hell? And there was a little plane going over. There was some kind of local airport. I said, if that plane dropped on us right now and you took your last breath here, would you take your next breath in heaven or hell? He said, well, it wouldn't be heaven. All the things I did. And you know, in about 12, 13 minutes, as we sat, in his shaded porch in a rocking chair and showed the scripture to him. He prayed and trusted Christ his Savior. The two guys came up the street. I said, hey, hey, come on over here, Carlos. Come on over here, Eli. I said, Daniel, tell him what you did. He said, you mean about the part where I asked Jesus in my heart? I said, yes. He said, I just asked Jesus in my heart. One of them had sense to engage him. So said, why'd you do that? He said, because I'm a sinner. I need my sins forgiven. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I want to tell you, I didn't care how hot it was, and I didn't care how wet the back of my shirt was from being in that rocking chair. I almost skipped down to the next house, and I'm 68, and I can't skip anymore. Man, shall doubtless come again with joy, the Bible said. And a few streets later, I'm at a no trespassing sign. Now, if it says no soliciting, I go up there because I'm not soliciting. I'm not selling anything. I'm not even trying to get them to join the church yet. And so, but if it says no trespassing, I understand that's their property. I cannot get on their property if I'm going to be respectful of them. But I'm standing there, and my two partners are coming at the house over here. And they got done talking there, and I'm standing at the no trespassing sign. And uh, they stood with me. I said, you guys go on to the next house. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to ask God to do something. And the door opened, and a guy walks out. He didn't even see me. He's right where Brother Moore is. He has his head down, and he goes down through his carport and starts messing around with his dog, playing with his dog. He had on shorts he didn't have on a shirt. I thought he had on a green shirt for a while. His tattoos were so thick on his body. And I said, God, let me talk to him. And just like that, he raised up his head like I I had banged two pots together or something. He said, can I help you? I said, no, you can't. He said, why can't I help you? I said, because you have a sign that says no trespassing. I can't come to where you are. He said, come on, man. And I went over there, and after a a few minutes, he knew he was a sinner. I shared some scripture, and he asked the Lord to save him. When I said, I'm going to share a few verses with you, he said, I need the short version. I said, why? He said, i got to go and put on a shirt and take my wife to doctors. So I I said, all right, two verses. He said, okay, two verses. (laughs) And I showed him. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I explained what that meant and that the wages of sin was death. I quoted that part to him because I promised him I'd only show him two verses. And I quoted to him the part about John uh, Revelation 20, the second death, uh, the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Which, and I quoted to him Revelation 21.8 fearful abominable all liars will have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is a second death i said now here's the second verse i'm going to show you i said a jailer i won't tell you why because you want the short version He goes, i got to have the short version hurry up a jailer dropped at the feet of the great apostle paul and said what must i do to be saved here's the short version Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He said, is that it? I said, that's it. He says, that's the short version. (laughs) And then I said, you understand what that means? He said, well, tell me, but make it the short version. So I told him what believe, man. I told him what believe on the Lord Jesus. That's his deity. He's the son of God. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Jesus. That's Jesus, means Savior. Christ, the anointed one. The only way you're getting to heaven is through Jesus, I said. And I quoted John 14, 6. And it says, you shall be saved. And I said, would you like to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Do you believe he died for you? He said, I know he did. Would you like to be saved? He said, what do I have to do? I said, well, if you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins and was raised from the dead, you can call on him to be your Savior. What's that mean? I said, you can pray. I can help you pray. He said, you have a short prayer that'll work. I said, are you serious about this? He said, I really am, but my wife really needs to make her appointment because if she doesn't, we have to pay for it anyway and wait another two months for her appointment. I didn't ask what it was. i serious. And I said, well, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a thief over on this side. He made fun of Jesus. The thief over on this side knew he was a sinner. He said, uh, uh, he said, we deserve this punishment, but this man has done nothing. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was his prayer. He said, was that all? I said, that was all. He said, did that do it? I said, well, Jesus said today you'll be with me in paradise. He said, that's a short version. I said, that's right. He said, can I pray? I said, yes. And he prayed and asked the Lord to be his savior. He said, do you believe he got saved? Well, did that Philippian jailer get saved? Did that thief on the cross get saved? But we are following up anyway. The church is following up anyway to try to help him start growing in the Lord and so forth. But what I'm saying is, Jesus, if you've ever had a feeling Jesus has been touched with the feelings, now that's a positive thing, when it's some Jesus, of our infirmities. His passion and his, pro- and his pain. Have you ever been broke or on the brink of it? Are you going to tell me Jesus was broke? Well, he said, the foxes have holes to sleep in. And the fowls of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. When it came time to pay taxes, he had to go fishing and catch a fish with a coin in its mouth to pay his taxes. Have you ever been ridiculed? He was performing miracles, he was teaching, and the crowd went away. And they said, your brothers are outside. You know what his brothers were saying about him? His human brothers? He's beside himself. We're going to take him home. He's touched. He's letting people think he is the son of God. We grew up with him in the carpenter's home. He was ridiculed by his own brothers until after the resurrection. Have you ever been forsaken? Oh, Peter said, I'll never forsake you. And the Bible says, we're hard on Peter. The Bible says all of the disciples agreed with Peter. Yeah, we'll stand by you, Jesus. And a few hours later, the Bible says they all, not just Peter, they all forsook him and fled. Have you ever been forsaken? Have you ever suffered physical pain? Look at chapter 12. Chapter 12 talks about humiliation and physical pain. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, we're to run the race with patience looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The painful, slow, agonizing death of the cross, despising the shame. The shame of what? Your worst sin and mine. What? The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and is set down at the right hand of the throne for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds give up pastor I'm giving up my Sunday school class why these kids don't pay attention to me I only pastored 10 years and I heard that a few times Well, let the pastor or somebody help you be a better Sunday school teacher. Or spend at least one day every week during mealtime, privately, don't announce it to people, on your face before God, praying for your worst students in your whole class and see, see what happens there. Well, how would Jesus know to help me? Because he's been touched with the feeling of our infirmities and he was In all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You say, man, the temptation's so great, and that's my past, and it's so easy for me to backslide. Take it to Jesus. What would he know? He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And in his model prayer, one of the things he told us to pray was, lead us not into what? Temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's his passion, that's his pain. Touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So look at the promise. This great high priest, this faithful, unchangeable priest makes in verse 16, "Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace." Now, you don't enter in to the president's chambers throne room boldly unless you've been invited remember that was part of Esther's problem her her nephew Mordecai said look your husband signed a decree and it's unchangeable and he signed a decree that our entire race is going to be put to death you're married to him do something about it and she said you might think I can do something about it because I'm married to him But he has not even considered me for 30 days. Think of that. He hadn't had lunch with her for 30 days. He hadn't invited her to supper for 30 days. He had not walked with her in one of his gardens for 30 days. He hadn't even spent a night with her, as husbands and wives do, for 30 days. And they had a law that if you appeared before the the, uh, ruler, the king there, without being invited and he wasn't pleased to see you, and he didn't care about her for 30 days, and hold out his scepter, they'd carry you out and put you to death. Oh, Brother Miller, that's a little dramatic. Well, that's how she got her job in the first place. The first queen disappeared because he wasn't pleased with her. You see, read the book of Esther. And so she very humbly With much humility, after much praying and fasting for herself, her maids, him, and the other Jews on the palace grounds entered before the king. But the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Now, that doesn't mean we're irreverent. We don't get on our knees and say, Hey, big guy, how you doing up there? Don't be irreverent. I don't like these guys in in uh, the victory circle, a NASCAR race saying, the big guy upstairs liked it today, you know. He helped my pit crew out, blah, 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 blah. No, no. But we do get to boldly come before the throne of grace. How's that, Brother Miller? Well, my daughter, Sarah, has a little girl named Lydia, and Lydia is uh, three years old. And uh, my wife the other day called me and said, I think there's something that smells hot in the house man i am five hours away i'm really concerned i said maybe you better call the fire department she said i don't want to call the fire department to check on i said all right call gary that's my son-in-law lives closest to me she called gary and he said i'll check on you tomorrow mom there's something smells hot in the house i'll check on you tomorrow but i'll tell you one thing i've seen him in action If little Lydia is out in the backyard and all at once she goes from laughing and playing with her chickens, she plays with live chickens, to crying, he's up and he's out that door to see what happened to his little girl. And she can come boldly before his throne when she needs help. And the Bible says we can come boldly unto the throne of, I like the name of this throne. It's not the throne of justice, thank God. If we got what we deserved, we'd be in hell right now. For sin, when it is conceived, bringeth forth death. But this is the throne of grace, where God gives grace, the bestowment of an undeserving gift, where he gives out things that we don't deserve. And when we come boldly to him in time of need, it says we will obtain, but before it gets to grace, it says we'll obtain mercy. Now, I like that too. I might go needing the power of the Holy Spirit to preach or the fruit of the Spirit just so I can live the Christian life and be a civil Christian with other people. But before he gives me that, he doesn't give me what I deserve. Mercy is the withholding of deserved punishment. And you know, last year God impressed me with his mercy and I I knew about the chapter that said, every verse ends with the mercy of the Lord what? Endureth forever. Every verse in that one chapter in Psalms ends with that. And I, I knew about this verse, but I started studying the, every time the word mercy appeared, mercy appeared, mer- Old Testament, New Testament. We sort of think the God of the Old Testament was breathing fire and spitting nails. He is a God of mercy. In fact, He's the Good Shepherd. Oh, yeah, a Good Shepherd in John 10, He's a Good Shepherd in Psalm 23. And we're told, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I know the grammar's terrible, but I like that song. Ain't God good to give us so many blessings. Before he gives us so many blessings of grace, he withholds what we deserve. And when we go boldly under the throne of grace, we can obtain mercy and find grace. And it's not something just to make our our uh, hair on the back of our neck stand up so we can go, (laughs) what are you doing? I've been blessed. With what? I don't know, but I'm blessed. It's not that. This is grace to help in time of need. To help in time of need. And if you're in a time of need right now and you're a child of God, go before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. If that happens to you tomorrow, you know where to go first, not last. And we all know somebody who's in a situation beyond us. A man, good Christian man, over in Brother Downey's church, came up to me uh, today and said, please pray, and he named a family member. He said... We, he needs to be saved. And then his wife came up, Brenda said, hey, pray for our son, Ronnie Jr. Now he's in his mid-30s. I said, okay, what are we praying for? She said, he needs to be saved. And we've done all we can do and he's just shut us out. He thinks we're his enemy. We're not being overbearing or anything. You know what they need? They need God to do something they can't do. They need grace in this situation. And they need to go to God for grace for their son. Mercy and grace to help in time of need. We have a responsibility, the Bible says, first of all, to make prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men. That word intercession means that we go before God to do what they're not doing or maybe can't even do. Who are you interceding for now? Let's bow our heads. God, this will help. If I come to you in time of need, confess sin, present my need, you will give us in that time of need, you'll give it to me, mercy and grace to help. God, this will help us to have better Sunday school teachers at Ocean County Baptist Church. Better bus workers. Better RU workers. Better Christian school teachers and assistant teachers and people who witness in the many ministries of this church. Instead of getting weary and fainting in our minds, like Hebrews 12 said, we'll come to you the author and finisher of our faith in time of need and get mercy and grace to help in time of need. I thank you that you're able because you're the Son of God, therefore the eternal Son of God. You're the creator, John 1, 1 through 3, verse 14, in Genesis 1, 1. You're our intercessor and our advocate. You're the high priest. It says a high priest, but you're the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And you have been, I can say, Lord, I know how they feel, but you really know how they feel. You really know how we feel. You really know how I feel. And so I pray that this verse, whether anybody comes forward tonight or not, this verse would be a go-to verse to come boldly before your throne of grace in time of need to find mercy and grace to help. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say, Brother Miller, I'm in a time of need right now that's beyond me. It might be a family situation, a physical situation, a financial situation. It might be something I I can't even imagine. You say, I'm in a situation like that, or you know someone who is. And rather than just give up on them and faint in your mind, you want to intercede for them, pray for them. Either you or someone you know is. And you're going to begin to take them or you before the throne of grace boldly. Lord, they belong to you. Lord, I belong to you. Please, God, I need mercy and grace in this time of need. You say, that's me, Brother Miller. Well, I'll pray for you. I won't ask you, hey, what, what are we praying about? That's none of my business. But I will pray for you. Would you raise your hand? You say, I'm in that time of need or I know someone who is. There's one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, I think. Put your hands down. If I didn't see your hand, God knows your hand. He knows your heart. He knows your situation. And so i'm going to pray for you that's why i had to raise your hand god help these people i don't know their situation or the person they're praying for i don't know but they do but more than that you do and you know it better than we do we might think it's a certain pain but there's a root to the pain or a certain situation but there's a a cause for the situation god would you give mercy and grace to help to these folks or the ones they're praying for in this time of need. And thank you for what you're already beginning to do. You said you do stuff before we even think or ask. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand quietly where you are right now and begin to play at the piano And I prayed with you. Now, why don't you come and pray for yourself or that one? Come right now. Come boldly before the throne. I'm not on the throne. It's Jesus' throne. The throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Now, if you're not a child of God, your need is to be saved. And the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He's able to save to the uttermost them that come to him by the Son. You say, that's me. Then you walk right down here and I've opened my eyes and you stand right here and open your eyes and I'll come down and we'll have somebody privately pray with you. So when you walk out of this building, Jesus will not only be your creator, but he'll be your great high priest. Anyone like that? Now, those of you that raised your hand and didn't come forward, be sure to wear down the path, a beaten path, to the throne of grace for yourself or those in need in time of need. We wear down the path real quickly to Facebook. I'm guilty of it sometimes. All Facebook friends pray for such and such or pray for this unspoken. And I said, man, I didn't even pray. First place to go, the throne of grace.